You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about improving our celebration of the Mass. We hear a reflection on spreading the good news, and we hear a poem by Thomas Campion, O Come Quickly, read by Sarah DeWitt. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome once again to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How's it going, Father? It's going well. So yeah. I always... I, I, I try to do these podcasts so that they're... So anybody could listen to them and feel like we were talking to them in the moment. But as, of course, the reality is we have to record them ahead That's right. of time. Yep, yep. Um, so every once in a while we have to acknowledge where we're at in the year. Are you gonna? Are you gonna talk about the weather? Uh, no, I'm trying to avoid talking about the weather. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so it's what? It's the second week of Lent. It is, yes. and we're we're quickly moving towards the back half of Lent. Which uh, this is what I wanted to just mention for those of our um, our friends that are in the RCA process. Things are kind of dialing up for them. They're going That's to right. be receiving the scrutinies over the third, fourth, and fifth weeks. Uh, and they're also going to receive, uh, liturgically, they're going to receive the gift of the Lord's Prayer and the Creed. Um, and then ultimately that that culminates on Easter Sunday with baptism. One of the things I noticed was in the rite of baptism for a baby, all of these things are present, but for our adult uh, members that are entering the church, they just get stretched out over time. So in the rite of baptism right. for a baby, there's the creed, there's the Lord's Prayer, there's exorcisms, there's blessings that lead up to the baptism itself. Right. Um, and uh, for those, you know, for these adults, they get that, but it's drawn out throughout the season. And so I've been pointing that out to them. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, go to a baptism with a little baby. You'll see everything that you're doing in kind of miniature. Yeah, I think con- that's the genius of the, of the rite of Christian initiation of adults. And uh, we're, uh, I've been grateful for uh, the privilege of being able to walk with this group um, of now elect and uh, candidates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So if you're listening to this podcast and it's not like, you know, 2024 or something, <laughs> please pray for them uh, as they continue uh, their journey towards Easter. Well, even if it is... Oh, I guess you could farming, still pray for them. Should the Lord tarry? We, we have no idea when the Lord's coming <laughs> back. Uh, but pray for them anyway, yeah, because exactly. uh, the Lord hears our prayers. And that's what, one of the things we can do if, if we hear about someone who we, whom we love uh, who passed away and we didn't know about it, we pray for them then. And any time they come to mind, mm-hmm. it's a great gift we mm-hmm. give them. But our main topic today is we wanted to um, discuss ways in which, you know, here at Resurrection, we love to do the liturgy well. Yeah. But there's always ways we can fine tune the That's way right. that we celebrate the liturgy. So we wanted to talk about uh, four or five things that we can pay attention to as a parish um, to make our celebration of the liturgy. Uh, one really one well. of the things... Uh, on our sign outside the front of the church, we, we have the 
the core values of the parish. And the first is mission-focused, looking at sharing the good news, the gospel of our Lord. The second one is authentically Catholic, and the third one is supportive of families. And I got a call this week from a, a woman who had seen the sign and said, what does that mean? I think she actually called the bishop as well. Oh. What does that mean, authentic Catholicism? And actually it says authentically Catholic, and, and I was able to share with her that we believe what the church believes, we pray the way that the, the, church, the, the church asks us to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, the distinctives of ad orientum, uh, you know, the kneel, these are ways that we believe the bringing Lord is in inviting, chant. bringing in chant. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not saying that other parishes are not authentically Catholic. So let me just say that for the record. Uh, Start naming names, Father. Uh, well, <laughs> I think there are some parishes, I'm not talking about in the Diocese of Lansing, where the pastors, the, the community is questioning what the church teaches and the, the, um, the importance of following the rubrics of the celebration of the Mass. And we do that the best we can, but we don't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about ways we can do it a little yeah. bit better. There's freedom in yep. following what, what the church wants. So let's just dive in. Uh, the precious blood. It's been unavailable to uh, the rest of us. You've been receiving it dutifully at every Mass. <laughs> it's, it's true. In fact, if the priest does not receive the precious blood, it, it's, it's invalid Mass. It's invalid Mass, that's right. So, but this hasn't been available to the rest of us since um, COVID started. Um, and I think... By the way, that was not my phone. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing me under the bus here. Um, they know that it wasn't my phone. Mine <laughs> doesn't even make noise. <laughs> Hopefully nobody heard that. Um, no, they heard it. <laughs> so where, where are we yeah, on the return? Yeah, so, so other things have come back, mm-hmm. like holy water and things like that. Where are yeah. we with the precious blood? And I, I was so grateful uh, that during that... that period of time when we didn't have holy water that uh, it was Chris Balding who uh, found out that there was this $125 uh, holy water dispenser, nice gold. Uh, that seemed pricey. Mm-hmm. So we, we got some soap dispensers. <laughs> soap that was brilliant. <laughs> with, uh, uh, and actually that allowed us to have holy water a lot earlier than a lot of parishes. Yeah. And we've, we've continued that. Some people prefer the, the sanitariness of that and the others... You know, they just love the tradition. My children water. just love that they can put their hands under it and Absolutely. water comes down. Oh, that's right. That's right. The, the floor is plenty exactly. blessed with holy water. It's true. Uh, so, I mean, we, we moved that back. And there's a couple of other things that we, we pulled back from. Obviously, we had the spacing in the pews. Uh, that's gone. Uh, and uh, But we, we pulled back from offering the sign of peace and then also the precious blood. And um, one of the things that... Um, people have begun to ask me is, is will we bring back uh, the precious blood? And, and the bishop has not made a, a stipulation about that. I think he is granting a lot of latitude, as he does in these sorts of matters, to the pastors. And uh, as I've been praying about it, uh, I think there is a subjective sign value of receiving the precious blood. And um, I experienced it when I was not a priest, mm-hmm. that privilege, and then being the extraordinary minister. And as I, I've prayed about it, you know, the, the challenge that I've felt since I was newly ordained is uh, I was at St. Thomas Aquinas, and they had um, eight cup bearers and six 
body, you know, distributors. So we had 14 ministers, one ordained, maybe a deacon, and then a whole host of extraordinary ministers. And I'm not sure that that's the mind of the church in terms of, you know, if need be. Mm -hmm. And during the, the week, other than on school masses, I'm the only one who distributes just because... I don't think the need is is great there. So, and at the eleven thirty, because the vast majority of people come to receive communion in the center, I've moved from one extraordinary minister to or two rather to one, and then he or she would distribute on uh, the east side and then the west side, so that they're not done, and I'm still going. So we just eliminate. Now, it's not that I don't want people to be involved in that ministry, but I'm an ordinary minister mm-hmm. of the Eucharist, whereas anyone else other than an instituted acolyte, and Brian Fink happens to be an instituted acolyte. Are you? I left the seminary literally weeks before okay. that happened. So part of, part of the concern that I have is the kind of the, the clericalization of the laity, mm-hmm. that sense of this is the way that we're a part of the church, that we, we, we have read to do something. We, we yeah. do something in Mass. And I'm open to it, but right now uh, I'm still praying about it. And I'm happy to listen to, to people's thoughts about it. I think you and I were talking earlier, just share your own sense about what it means to receive the precious yeah, blood for you. I can completely uh, sympathize with not wanting to multiply the ministers. I think um, it really can become a distraction from just trying to pray at that point in the mass when a horde of, uh, maybe horde is a wrong word to use, but a, a lot host, of, a host of people uh, go up to the, to the, to the sanctuary. Um, that being said, I have, there was a moment, um, I can't remember exactly when it was, when I started to receive from the, the, the precious blood in the chalice. And it was helpful for me in my own prayer to meditate on receiving God's body and blood um, that I was drinking as well as eating. Now, of course, the blood is is present in the host. Um, Receiving under either species, mm -hmm. body, blood. Yeah, you receive the whole Christ. You're not receiving a separated Christ. Um, But subjectively, for me, in my prayer, it was helpful. And that's not nothing. And Mm -hmm. we, we need to acknowledge that. And my... I would say that I'm I'm very open to it. I, th- I think at one point uh, during daily masses, I would uh, on feast days or solemnities, I would uh, distribute communion in the center by mm-hmm. intinction, mm-hmm. so the body and blood that way. Yeah. Obviously, we wouldn't do that in the other. We wouldn't want to try to to give the cup when kneeling. It's just there's some logistical issues that are a challenge. Uh, but but I'm open to it and and. Uh, I just encourage other people to, to share with me their own thoughts um, and just be wise about how is it that we help people enter in well and to, as you said, subjectively encounter the Lord through the yeah, word I, and through... And, 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 you know, you mentioned the, the logistical things. I mean, with the chalice, you have the, the difference of dealing with liquid yeah. You know, with a dropped host, and we can we plan on talking about that in a minute. With a dropped host, it's it's a solid that you can pick up. Now you have to be careful for the the particles or whatnot. But with a liquid, that becomes harder to clean up and to make sure that you've treated the body and blood of the Lord in the right. Well, and 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 I I will say that it's very rare that uh, I've seen problems with precious blood spilling. But mm-hmm. 
I'll just say when we do, if we do indeed return to the precious blood, there'll be some instruction. There are people who kind of grab the, the, the cup and uh, just take a big swig instead of just a small mm-hmm. taste. Well, I found as I was with children holding a baby oh, yeah, right. and so having to do it one-handed, I started to wonder if when I had a baby with me, if I should do it or not, because uh, the, the, just the handoff is a little I, bit different. I, I, I do think, so we want to be wise about that. And obviously at Resurrection, we've got a lot of young families with, mm-hmm. with young kids. And I, I think some are probably of uh, kind of the stance that you have and that I felt as a, as a layman when I, before I was a priest, that it really does add to the encounter and the reception of, mm-hmm. of the full Christ, even though under either species mm-hmm. we receive the whole of Christ. Sure. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, one yeah, of the and just yeah, go ahead. You we already kind of hinted at the, the issue with uh, oh, dropped okay. host. So someone had emailed me and had noticed that this was at a, I believe, a daily mass. Um, I had distributed and, and the host fell, uh, hit the kneeler. Uh, even though there was a patent there, I mean, it's not foolproof. But that's one of the reasons we use the patent is so mm-hmm. that it would would catch, uh, and it dropped hit the kneeler and then fell inside. So there's the kneeler and then we're uh, kind of closer to the altar. So no one was able to step on the host where it had dropped. I picked it up, but there might've been a particle there. But the person who saw it drop didn't know that and wondered, had there been protection of the place where the host had dropped? What this individual suggested was that every extraordinary minister have uh, a purificator to put there just to protect it. And I realized what we should do is just have an extra purificator. And then if we've got enough servers, just have one server be ready and then mm-hmm. just have the extraordinary minister or the server go get the purificator, put it where it fell. And then right after that, uh, communion is distributed, uh, we'll uh, purify it with the holy water mm-hmm. or the yeah. water and then just taking it up with the purificator. Yeah. We don't want to be scrupulous about these things no, um, that's right. and, and, and obsess over them, but it's we want to also honor the Lord's well, body. It, it, I mean, one of the things that I think happens when we use a patent and we take care to to make sure that we purify, I mean, uh, take up any of the small particles of the host to the extent that we can, mm-hmm. is the sign value that we believe that Christ is truly present. Yeah. We don't take it casually. We mm-hmm. take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And that sign value is, is picked up by the people who, who see. And uh, That's one of the ways of communicating the faith is the way we act around uh, right. the Lord's body. Yep. And, you know, the vessels themselves are precious. Mm-hmm. That, that sense of this is the most precious thing we can ever receive. So we have precious. And, you know, if the Lord were worried that a particle of him would fall. Yeah. He wouldn't have decided yeah. that he would mm-hmm. manifest himself as the bread of life. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to obsess over it and That's watch right. every little thing. Like, but we should be aware as yeah. much as we can. Yeah. Um, okay, another thing that... And, uh, and just on that point, if you happen to have the host drop, it's usually the minister's, and I say that about myself, mm-hmm. not your fault. So don't ever say, what have I done to Jesus? No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. You, didn't, you did not hurt Jesus. If the host fell on the ground, he is not saying, why did you drop me? Yeah. He's, he's never said no, that. in fact, it's, I, I find that as a sign of the Lord's humility that he allows himself the exactly. possibility of exactly. being dropped. And, and consumed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's not get too over, you know. All right. Uh, one more thing um, within Mass. Uh, 
relating to um, COVID was the sign of peace. That's right. Yeah. So uh, astute observers will notice you have not yet returned to saying, you know, offer to one another the sign of peace. Um, but the entire body of the church is offering the sign of peace anyways. Well, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I had heard rumor <laughs> to that effect, but I don't see it because I go right from yeah, yeah. The, uh, the altar, the altar right to, to the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Uh, I do hear a little bit of uh, noise, Rustling, right? Yeah. I, and, but I think it, it's, it's probably wise for me to begin to say it uh, so that the action is actually following from a, an instruction mm-hmm. from the minister yeah. based on Christ being our peace, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Yeah, so because this was actually something I learned um, probably about 10 years ago. I always thought the peace was what the Lord said about if you have something against your brother, go and reconcile with him before approaching the mm-hmm. altar. But uh, a priest pointed out to me that, no, it's actually when Christ said from the Last Supper, uh, the peace that I give you is not as the world gives peace, right. and so the source of our peace at that moment is is Christ and uh, His atoning sacrifice mm-hmm. that reconciles us to one another and to the Father. And if I if I understand correctly, the the old Mass, the Tridentine Mass, the priest would actually kiss the paten or kiss the host, and then communicate that peace through like an embrace or something. On down yeah, to the like, deacon, to the altar. It was the like the domino effect. Exactly. It would literally flow yeah, from the host. There, there is a there's a sign value that is lost now, and uh, I think that um, that would be a rich one to, to restore bring at some yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. So the when we offer one another the sign of peace, it's Christ's peace. That's right. And so being invited to do that by the vicar, yeah, uh, the yeah. you know the head in the liturgy, I think is is important. Yeah. So. Consider it done. So by the time you hear this, it will not be as relevant. <laughs> we are locked in time. Um, anything else that you wanted to say about that? Uh, no, I, th- I think... Uh, so, well, I'll say this. Um, there are some people who feel like that's the highest point of the Mass, that moment of peace. And uh, they've liked the fact that they didn't have to feel the burden of extending the mm. sign of peace to anyone. So if someone is caught in prayerfulness and does not extend his or her hand or uh, a sign, just extend grace to them and, and don't judge them and say, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? Yeah, Why can't you? Sure. Don't you want me to have peace? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the debate about whether or not that's the, I mean, this is kind of a, uh, I mean, classic debate. Should it happen at that moment in the Mass or a different moment in the Mass? Well, and for all the reasons we just talked yeah. about, it, it does make sense there, but. Cardinal the, Ratzinger, you know, I know, discussed this at yeah, certain that's points. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not really the point of what we're discussing that's at right. this point. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, moving, since we're kind of moving towards the end of Mass. We started this new thing with the the reading of the last gospel. Yeah. We weren't. We actually couldn't remember if we talked about it on the podcast before. Believe it or not, we don't keep listening to our <laughs> podcasts. You don't <laughs> listen to yourself. No, no. I mean, I have to okay. listen to myself all the time. Think about it. <laughs> so what? Um, so I we thought we'd just give you a few moments yeah, to talk yeah. about what was your motivation. What are your hopes? Uh, well, yeah, I'd share this at, at Mass for sure. I don't think we did talk about it uh, in any podcast prior to this one. And uh, what I realized was 
John 1, uh, 1 to 14, uh, it is the, the reading during the day on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. the Nativity. And then it's the proper reading for the seventh day within the octave of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So those are the two times that it is uh, the featured gospel. But before Vatican II, uh, the priest, after the conclusion of the Mass, would go to the gospel side and would uh, read John 1, 1 to 14, the prologue Mm -hmm. of John. He would read it in Latin, and it just reminds us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it or has not overcome it. It's really a second creed. Mm-hmm. It just helps us understand. And given the assault upon reality and ultimately the incarnation, the goodness of the incarnation, that it has been redeemed in Christ, he took our created nature into divinity mm-hmm. and gives us hope of heaven. It just seems really a powerful uh, return. So uh, we have taken up that tradition. So after the after I reverence the altar uh, and if we're singing the Marian Antiphon, exit the sanctuary, and then I'll read uh, John 1 to 14. And we genuflect when I say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I was talking to uh, Father Mike Murray about this, and he was a student, an eighth grader. He went through all eight grades at St. Thomas Aquinas. And when Father Mack was there, uh, when you became an eighth grader, eighth grade boy, when he was reading the last gospel, John 1, 1 to 14, at the end of Mass, quietly on the gospel side, one of the eighth graders had a microphone and was reading it in English for the congregation. Mm. So they heard this every day because they went to Mass every day. Mm. For me, saying this every day and uh, inviting the people to remind themselves and to remember the great gift that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, it's been it's been wonderful, and the people have responded well. I, I talked about the fact that the mass is over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've reverenced the altar, exited the the, the sanctuary, sanctuary. Uh, and so we're doing the Saint Michael prayer after that. So mm-hmm. we do the reading of the last gospel. And what's been your experience of it? Um, it's been interesting to to hear it over and over again. You start to. Um, notice and maybe meditate on one line or one phrase because you're hearing it over and over again. So different things will stick out to you. Um, it, it has struck me particularly about the the line, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We genuflect uh, only two other times uh, during the year when we say that in the creed, Christmas and the Annunciation, which is March 25th. Mm-hmm. Um the day and age in which we live, the flesh is treated as inconsequential. That it can be manipulated, it can be changed, it um, doesn't matter. Um, uh, and and you know you can you can pick whatever issue you want. Um, you know maybe the easy one is to jump to abortion or to transgender surgeries, but I also include things like war and um, the treatment of the poor. Um, like, you know, uh, where's, is it in the, um, the letter of James where it says, uh, 
if you say uh, be, be well and, and, and well fed, and, and then you don't do anything yeah. to help, like right. you haven't you haven't treated the body of your of your brother well. Um, and so I think hearing the word became flesh, and thinking about everything that that means, um, our Lord. You know, sometimes we can put them in a plaster of you know uh, statue mm-hmm. and not remember the fact that um, he was a baby at one point and had diapers and you know right. and, and uh, skinned his knee as a little boy and and things like this. It brings the reality of of the incarnation, uh, but also I think reminds us that our flesh it it has dignity, um, if anything else, because our Lord took took flesh himself. So that's been kind of some of my reflections on it. Oh, it's it's uh, any feedback that I've received has been positive. There might be some people who are, you know, let's get out of here. But if you ask the, my two-year-old, that's my view. Yeah, no, I, I I did hear that that some of the, the young kids might say, "What are we waiting for?" <laughs> uh, and he's not going to preach again, is he? <laughs> so that's probably not just the kids, <laughs> and I have I have yet to do so, and I won't. Uh, but I, I do think that that um, one of the things that strikes me about the people who come to resurrection is that they don't, for the most part, leave right after communion. Mm-hmm. They stay. And there's a sense of uh, wanting to receive the blessing. Mm-hmm. And I think for us to remind ourselves of the dignity of, of uh, our human flesh that God in the second person of the Trinity, took it to himself mm-hmm. through Mary. And uh, it's, it's good. And, and kind of speaking of reverence, um, you know, one of the challenges we've got at resurrection is we don't have a big gathering space that mm-hmm. people can go to right after mass. And, and I've occasionally reminded people, and I'll do that again in coming weeks, and you might hear this again uh, at, at Sunday mass, it's just to, after mass, allow people to make a, a Thanksgiving for the, the grace and then to have fellowship. The weather is turning, it's, it's getting better. Um, so to go to the vestibule or to the Mercy Hall or outside just to, to catch up. Uh, we, I love the fact that we like each other. Mm-hmm. We like to talk to each other, like to catch up and, and see each other's uh, family members and, and uh, see our friends. But just to allow uh, that spirit of reverence uh, to, to find its way into our hearts and maybe to make a Thanksgiving ourselves and then yeah, I think that that's department. actually probably one of the reasons why people don't leave right after communion. It's uh, mass isn't something like a consumable good that I go and get. It's it's being with my family. That's right. And so, sure, we we pray together, we receive the Lord together, but then we spend time lingering with one another, and that's a good thing. It is. Um, yeah. But we had, need to remember also that the 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 the, the nave of the church is is part of God's sanctuary, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to. Or just remember that after mass yeah, is over I, I, with, it, it doesn't it, change. As is usually the case, we've got multiple values. So uh, just as we were talking about the precious blood, there's multiple values there. there there's the value of the subjective experience of receiving under both species. Uh, and there's also the value of not wanting to get us to believe that if I'm active in the church, it means I'm doing something yeah, in the sanctuary sure. or uh, on Sunday morning mm-hmm. at the mass. Uh, so there's multiple values. And we're, we're, we're not perfectly executing those things. But I invite the people to please pray for me, for the members of the parish who are making decisions about these things, that we would know how to do well uh, what the Lord is calling us to do.
All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's time for us. Uh, as always, it was great talking with you again, Father. And uh, just know that we're praying for you. Please pray for us uh, and those who are preparing for the Easter Vigil to, mm-hmm. to either make the pro- profession of faith or to be baptized and to receive the Easter sacraments. I will say this. the it is It is a joy to journey with these folks from you know, late September when they first show up and they're a little unsure and they're not quite, you know, they've done a little reading online or something. Um, and to watch their transition now to this point where they're just aching to be yeah. part of us sacramentally. Um, and so it is always a great joy for me um, to be with them through the vigil to see them baptized. Well, I'm grateful for your your part and the part that, that Susan Barr told mm-hmm. who helps with a lot of the logistics and paperwork. None of this would happen if it wasn't for Susan Bartold. Amen. <laughs> Thanks be to God. She's, uh, she's uh, very helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, for uh, another week of uh, uh, chat with Father Steve, uh, this is Rich. And I'm Father Steve. <laughs> God bless. God bless you. Jesus has given us a commission to go out and spread the good news of salvation to all nations. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider how we can carry out that command and some practical ways in which we can communicate the gospel to others. Spreading the good news. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, you will have heard that one of your tasks is to evangelise. In other words, to spread the good news of the gospel message. This is one area where many of us might feel ill at ease. Somehow, telling other people about our faith may not grab us as the most pleasant of experiences, and yet it was a command that Jesus gave us just before he ascended into heaven. If we had just won the lottery, or we just got engaged, or found out that we had inherited a 50,000-acre estate in England, we would probably be unable to stop ourselves from telling everyone we met. The good news of the gospel is even better than that. Could it be that the reason why we are not sharing the gospel with other people is because somehow we haven't fully grasped what the good news actually means ourselves? So what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus has come to free humanity from the ancient curse brought upon us by Adam and Eve's first sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, we were all cut off from God. There was no way that we could reach heaven or start up a relationship with God again that would result in our salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin and freed us from the awful punishment that humanity deserved for disobeying God. By rising from the dead and sending us the Holy Spirit in baptism, he gave us the means and the power to enter into a new way of life that ultimately would result in eternal happiness with God in heaven. But that all sounds fairly theoretical, and we've heard it all before perhaps. It's also not something that would immediately capture the imagination of someone we wanted to share it with. What would grab someone's attention is 
if we ourselves had personally experienced the liberating power of the Holy Spirit. If we were to tell someone that we had met Jesus Christ and he had changed our life, then that would be a message to make people sit up and take notice. As Pope Paul VI says in Evangelii Nunciandi, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, and if he does listen to teachers, it's because they are witnesses. Although Jesus has directed us to evangelise and to spread the good news, when we have had a personal encounter with the Lord, speaking to people about our experience no longer becomes a chore. It becomes a way in which we can help other people to have the same encounter that we have had. It becomes no longer a duty, but a pleasure and a means of exhibiting charity towards our neighbour. The question is, though, have we had that encounter? Have we experienced a life-changing awakening of the Holy Spirit within us? The legal term nemo dat quod non habet applies here. No one gives what they don't have. If we haven't yet had that awakening of the power of our baptism, why not find a way of having that experience, either through an evangelistic course like Alpha, the Life in the Spirit seminars, or the Resurrection Life course, or by asking someone to pray over us for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Some people even have that experience on their own in prayer by giving their life to Jesus and asking for a release of the Holy Spirit. When we have had that experience, we will want to tell other people. Whom do we tell? Our kids, our relatives, co-workers, strangers in the street, anyone in fact whom we think will benefit from hearing the good news. Very often when we choose to share our experience of new life in the Holy Spirit, we find that people are quite prepared to listen to us. Many people are leading lives of quiet desolation, and the good news that we offer them is a way out of their distress. So often when we tell someone about our life-changing experience, they are prepared to listen. This is especially the case if they know us and can see that our lives are different, that something has changed in us. When people see us resisting the temptation to judge other people or gossip, and when they see us serving people's needs and showing concern and compassion for others, they'll want to know what motivates us. When they see us being cheerful in the face of suffering, they'll want to know what our secret is. When they notice that we are not anxious for the future, they'll want to know why. It's always a good idea to find the right moment to share the gospel message rather than blurting out the message or Bible thumping. The Holy Spirit is the one who is constantly at work in everyone to draw us ever closer into a relationship with God. Consequently, he will guide us as to whom we should speak to about our experience and when the right time is. It's worth listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit who will speak to us sometimes interiorly in words or in a movement of the heart or through the circumstances that present themselves to us as we go about our day. One good way of opening up a discussion that might lead to speaking about the Lord is to offer to pray for someone who's struggling 
or who is experiencing family troubles. That almost never falls on deaf ears, and usually people are grateful for the care you are showing to them. Because evangelization is not really about notching up conquests, it's about relationships. The most effective way that we can introduce someone to the new life that we experience is by befriending them, showing them our concern for their welfare and cultivating an ongoing relationship with them. People need to know that you're interested in them as a person. Ultimately, you are an ambassador for Christ and you stand in his place to convey his love to other people. Your words and actions then become living proof of the love that Jesus has for each person. It may also be the case that you are simply one of a long line of encounters that someone has with Christians of various types. It has been said that it can often take seven different encounters before someone comes to the point of conversion. You may be number one, number four, or number seven. What is important is showing love to the person and, where appropriate, sharing the gospel message backed up by your own experience, not chalking up another convert to add to your collection. Evangelization is different than apologetics. Apologetics is where you try to convince someone that Christianity is right, often using intellectual arguments. However, although someone might eventually succumb to your line of reasoning, it's not very common for someone to come to a point of conversion through that method. Evangelization, on the other hand, is more about your personal witness of the life-altering power of the gospel. It's about sharing your experience of meeting Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit into your life in a new way. Someone may resist the gospel message, but it's difficult for someone to argue with your personal experience. There is always a certain reticence when we start out and a reluctance to speak about the Lord. But if we take the plunge and begin to share the gospel message, we will often find that people are eager to hear. The Holy Spirit has already been at work in the people we meet, so often they are ready to receive what we have to tell them. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us the courage to spread the good news. Jesus, you have commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and equip us to spread the good news of your death and resurrection to everyone we meet. Help us to love them as you love them and reveal to them the power and freedom that is found in you. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Thomas Campion, Oh Come Quickly, read by Sarah DeWitt. Thomas Campion Thomas Campion was a 16th century English composer, poet, and physician. He was born in London, England in 1567 and died in 1620, probably of the plague that was running wild decimating a substantial percentage of the population of Europe. Campion wrote over a hundred lute songs, masks for dancing, and an authoritative technical treatise on music. Campion published his poetry widely during his lifetime, producing at least four books of airs, 
which included music written by him and his friend, Philip Rossiter. While Campion had attained a considerable reputation in his own day, in the years that followed his death, his works sank into complete oblivion. No doubt this was due to the nature of the media in which he mainly worked, the mask and the songbook. The mask was an amusement that was too costly to be popular, and during the Commonwealth period it was practically extinguished. The popularity of the songbooks was even more ephemeral, and because of the Puritan ascendancy, with its distaste for all secular music, they were effectively wiped out and no longer published. It wasn't until 1889 that a collection of the Campion's works was published again, that his genius was recognized and his place among the foremost rank of Elizabethan lyric poets was restored. In the following poem entitled, O Come Quickly, the poet expresses what many of us feel at times when we are weighted down by life's troubles, a yearning for the Lord to come and take us away to be with him. This pining for the heavenly courts is the same longing that is articulated by St. Augustine in the introduction to his confession. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. O Come Quickly by Thomas Campion Never weather-beaten sail more willing bent to shore, never tired pilgrim's limbs affected slumber more, than my wearied sprite now longs to fly out of my troubled breast, Oh, come quickly, sweetest Lord, and take my soul to rest. Ever blooming are the joys of heaven's high paradise. Cold age deafs not there our ears, nor vapor dims our eyes. Glory there the sun outshines, whose beams the blessed only see. Oh, come quickly, glorious Lord, and raise my sprite to thee. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.